Good morning, folks. Hey, let's grab our Bibles and uh, turn to, uh, once again, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13, as we continue on, uh, taking a look at the parables of the kingdom in Matthew chapter 13. This morning, we will be starting in verse 24, and uh, we'll be looking at two of the seven, uh, eight, excuse me, parables that we see there, the parable of the weeds and the parable of the dragnet. All right, uh, <clears throat> Matthew chapter 13, again, starting in verse 24. I uh, trust that you're there close to it, so let's pray, and uh, then we'll dive right in. Father, we pray that you would bless the hearing and the teaching and the living out of your word. We pray that you would come in power, that you would send your spirit to speak through me the words that you would have for me to say. We're grateful that you have recorded for us the very words of Jesus Christ and these wonderful parables that teach us about the church age and the age to come and the kingdom uh, in this interim phase. Father, we pray that you would help us to learn the things that you would have us to learn, that you would challenge us and that we would see ourselves in these parables. And we ask that you would... Um, uh, grow us and change us, and Father, save us if we've not trusted in Christ. We ask these things in Jesus' name, and God's people said, Amen. Well, as most of you know, within the past year, my family and I have uh, begun and continue to do uh, renovations on uh, a new to us and older than most a home here in Sisson Park. And uh, we've really enjoyed it, and many of you have helped, and we appreciate that. Uh, it's infinitely more work than I ever could have imagined. I don't regret it. Uh, we're grateful for it now. But one of the uh, benefits that we're enjoying is a much bigger yard, and we've appreciated that. The kids have room to roam, and it's been great. However, one of the things that I'm learning that comes with a bigger yard is more yard work, right? I just didn't anticipate that. Somehow it sort of slipped my mind. And so uh, much more yard work, which, which is fine. I'm sort of learning how to do that. Um, not only do we have much more yard work, but uh, we have a lot more weeds. And so this summer... This summer we were gone for about a week. I think we were uh, on vacation. And I remember, you know, I, I, I mowed the yard and I weed-eated the yard and I pulled the weeds right before we left. And I'm like, all right, the house is ready. I can leave. And so we uh, are gone for a week. And I come back and I look at our yard and there were so many weeds. It was like uh, the Amazon rainforest or something, right? And I'm like, what in the world happened? It's been a week and there's things growing where they shouldn't grow, right? Things growing where I don't want them. Now, if it were up to me, quite simply, I would just let the weeds be. Uh, I don't like weeds. I don't know many people who do like weeds. Um, our neighbors who keep their house, uh, their yard very nice probably wouldn't appreciate it if I just sort of let the weeds grow. That being said, did you know, in my defense, that the idea of letting weeds grow up along with good plants is actually a biblical idea? Did you know that? It is a biblical idea. And so I can justify, justify myself if I want to do that. And if you don't believe me, we're going to see it in our first parable today, the parable of the weeds. Uh, some people call it the parable of the wheat and the weeds. We'll just call it the parable of the weeds. So last week, uh, very quickly, we looked at the first of eight parables in Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the seed and the sower. And we saw that the sower went out and planted seeds, which was the gospel message, and the seed fell upon uh, four different types of soil. Remember that? Three of the soils uh, were not good, right? The soil was bad, and the seed of the gospel did not take root, and that certainly represented three 
uh, negative responses to Jesus and his gospel, three non-saving responses to Jesus and his gospel. But there was a fourth, right? The good soil, uh, the seed took root, and the seed began to grow, right? And it produced uh, a crop. And so last week we saw uh, uh, basically two different types of responses. There's a negative response to the gospel, there's a negative response to Jesus, and there's a positive response to the gospel, a positive response to Jesus. Well, As we make our way into the second parable in chapter 13, Jesus will continue to use an agricultural parable. So this is an ag town, right? So this is right in our wheelhouse. Jesus is going to use a second agricultural parable to explain the eternal consequences of both sets of responses. Okay? So Jesus is going to answer the question... What happens to the person uh, who is the first type of soil? What happens to the person who responds to the gospel with the second type of soil? And the third type of soil? And then what happens to the person who receives the seed of the gospel and is born again and trusts in Jesus, right? What is the eternal consequence both of faith in Jesus and rejecting Jesus? Well, we're going to see the answer to that in two parallel parables. Two parables that are that are very similar in nature. The first is the parable of the weeds, and the second is the parable of the dragnet. The parable of the weeds and the parable of the dragnet. So let's begin with the parable of the weeds, and we begin in verse 24. So the parable is, is introduced there. It, it's, a, it's a rather simple image. It's the image of a landowner who planted good seed. We're going to find out that it's wheat seed, to be exact, and he plants this seed in his field. Notice how Jesus introduces the parable in verse 24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. As we continue on, verse 25, But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat. And went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. And so Jesus begins to shape this parable, right? There is a man and he owns the land and he has good seed, wheat seed to be exact. And so he plants the wheats, the wheat seed and he thinks all is well. He and his household goes to bed, but in the middle of the night, who comes? There is an enemy, right? There is an enemy, notice, that comes in the nighttime, right? Whose works are characterized by being in the dark. And so the enemy comes and the enemy wants to destroy this man's field, right? He wants to ruin the good seed uh, that will anticipate a good crop. So what does he do? He takes seeds of, of weeds, right? And he scatters them. In the man's fields. Interestingly enough, Rome in Jesus' day had specific laws against doing the very thing that Jesus speaks of in this parable. Is it interesting? They had specific laws because apparently this happened, right? If you had an enemy you wanted to harm someone financially, you would do what this man did in Jesus' parable. Now, the particular weed most likely is a variety of what is called a Darnell weed. Uh, and, and the academics say that it, it closely resembles wheat. In fact, it's rather impossible to distinguish from wheat except for when what? 
when they both grow, right? They, they come to maturity, and then you can tell, well, this is a weed, and this is wheat. And so Jesus sets up the parable, and then he continues in verse 27. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, First, collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. And so as the parable continues, right, realizing the possible devastation that these weeds could bring to their master's crop, they, they go to him and they, and they ask, what should we do, right? Should we pull the weeds up? And of course, the experienced and wise landowner refused. He didn't want them to do that. And why is that? Well, Jesus tells us in the parable, right? Because by doing so, you could possibly damage some of the wheat. And also, some of the wheat maybe hadn't sprouted yet. And so, it would be hard to discern. It would be hard to tell the difference, which is wheat and, and which is weed. And so, the wise landowner says, no, what we need to do is what? We, we need to wait, right? We need to wait until the harvest time. And when the harvest time comes, then we can distinguish the wheat and the weed with certainty. And so Jesus gives this parable. We're told in Matthew 13 that this parable goes out to the crowd. We get two more parables in the, in the verses that follow. And then Jesus returns to the house. If you recall, uh, back in verse 1 in chapter 13, he leaves the house and he begins to teach. And so now he goes back to the house that he came from and his disciples come to him. There in verse 36. His disciples come to him and they want to, to know the meaning of this parable. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. See, I find it fascinating. What, what is the difference between the, the crowd and the disciples? What, what, what's the difference between those that are just listening to Jesus and those who are uh, genuine followers of Christ? Well, well, those who are genuine followers of Christ, they, they ask questions. They want to know more. They're hungry for the truth, right? They want an explanation. And so they come to Jesus. And Jesus obliges. And he gives, starting in verse 37, an initial sort of rundown of the symbolism, right? And so sort of like a playbill. Have you ever been to a musical or, or a play before, right? And you get this playbill. And the playbill sort of runs down. Well, who's playing uh, what character, right? Jesus sort of gives a playbill for the parable, he's going to say this means this and that means that. And he's, he's going to sort of begin his initial explanation of the parable of the weeds. So let's take a look starting in verse 37. He answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. So in the parable, who is the landowner? The landowner is Jesus, right? And not only does he own the land, but he's the one who is sowing the good seed. So he identifies himself. I'm that landowner, right? I own the field and I planted the good seed. Verse 38. The field is the world. And the good seed stands for the people 
of the kingdom. And so what is the field, right? The, the, the landowner owns the land. He owns the field, right? And he plants good seed in that field. What, what does the field represent, church? Well, it represents not the local church. It represents the entire world, right? Jesus created the world. He owns the world. And so the field is the world. He goes on to explain then that the good seeds stand for what? The good seeds stand for the people, Jesus says, of the kingdom. That is, genuine Christians, people who have trusted in him for salvation and follow him in a life of obedience. And so the good seed stands for the the people of the kingdom. Who are the weeds then? Who are the weeds? Well, Jesus says, the weeds are the people of the evil one. Friends, who is the evil one? The devil, right? Satan is the evil one. And so the weeds are his people, right? Unbelievers, if you will. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. He goes on to tell us what the harvest in the parable represents. He says the harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. And so he identifies the main characters in this parable. And then he fleshes out the parable. He gives further explanation of what we're going to see that the point of this parable is, is the eternal destiny of the weeds and the wheat, right? What is the eternal destiny of the wheat? Those who respond to the seed of the gospel, though those who in this parable are the, the seeds themselves, right? The people of the kingdom. Friends, does that describe you today? Is that you? Are you a Christian today? Have you been born again? Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? If that is the case, then you are a person of the kingdom. What will your eternal destiny be? Well, the the parable is going to be explained. But for some of us, I pray none of us here, but some people are not wheat, but they are what? They are weeds, right? They are people who are the sons of Satan. The daughters of Satan, they are unbelievers, they, they have rejected Jesus, they have rejected the gospel. What, my friends, will their eternal destiny be? Well, we're going to find out starting in verse 40. We see the destiny of those who reject Christ and the offer of his kingdom, starting in verse 40. He says, as the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire... So it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will weed out of His kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be, where, where there will be weeping and gnashing, of teeth. And so, to bring the parable home, Jesus speaks of the eternal destiny, the eternal reality of those who have not placed their faith in Jesus Christ. He says, just as the weeds in the parable, what happened to them, right? Well, the harvesters pulled them out and threw them into the fire to be burned. Jesus says, so in the same way. Likewise, will the eternal destiny be for the sons and daughters of Satan. And notice, friends, how does Jesus identify these people? What are they like? What is their characteristics, right? He says in verse 41, 
the Son of Man will send out His angels and they will weed out of His kingdom. What? Everything that, number one, causes sin. Those that push other people into ungodliness and sin. And number two, all who do evil. And so these sons and daughters of the kingdom uh, of Satan are characterized as, as sinning themselves and causing other people to sin. What will their destiny, what will their destination be? Jesus uses rather frightening terms. He says they will be thrown into the blazing furnace where they will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, speaking of emotional and physical anguish and torment. Well, if that is the destiny of the weeds, what will the destiny be of the wheat? Well, Jesus tells us in verse 43, Jesus says that those who respond in faith to the kingdom message, those who place their faith in King Jesus and respond to him with fruitfulness, will experience eternal glory. Eternal glory in the kingdom of God. It is an image taken from Daniel chapter 12, verse 3. And so Jesus says in verse 43, he says, Then, now notice, how are Christians characterized? What are believers called? He says, then the righteous. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Dr. D.A. Carson, professor of New Testament over up at Trinity in Deerfield, describes uh, Jesus when he says, the righteous will shine like the sun. And he says this. He says, the righteous people, once the light of the world now radiate perfections and experience bliss in the consummation of their hopes. Friends, those of us who are called the righteous, who have placed our faith in Jesus, he uses this imagery of shining with, with glorious sunlight. And so what will the destiny be of those who place their faith in Jesus? It will be glorious. It will be in the kingdom of our heavenly Father. And so we've seen the parable and we've seen the point of the parable of the weeds. But, but there is a second parable. It's a, it's a parallel parable. It's very similar in its, uh, in its description and it's very similar in its point. And so jump ahead in your Bibles to verse 47. To verse 47. I want us to look at these two parallel parables together. They essentially make the same point. Verse 47, we see the parable begins. Once again, Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. <clears throat> when it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw away the bad. And so now we move to the seventh parable of the kingdom. And Jesus sort of switches analogies, does he not? The point is essentially the same, but the analogy is different. And so he moves from an agricultural analogy, right, of the wheat and the tares, and he, and he goes to what industry? The fishing industry, right? And so for those of you men and women who are fishermen and women out there, this parable is for you, right? He uses the image of fishing, but not any kind of fishing, a particular kind of 
fishing. And so Jesus uses a, a, a word here. that The NIV, which I'm using, simply translates it as net. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, is, is like a net. If you have a different translation, it might say the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet. Uh, because there's a particular Greek word, a particular type of fishing here that Jesus describes. Now, in the New Testament, there are basically uh, three types of fishing uh, in, in the ancient world. The first was basically the, the kind that we maybe often think of, right? So you're going fishing, and you take your fishing what? Pole, right? You take your fishing pole. So it's, it's like this guy, right? You take your fishing pole, you take your, your bait, and you cast it, and you know, it's one person doing the fishing, right? And so that, that is one type of fishing in the Bible. In fact, we see uh, Jesus tell Peter to use this method. Remember in Matthew 17, uh, the, the religious leaders uh, say, hey, why doesn't Jesus pay the temple tax? And what does Jesus uh, instruct Peter to do? Take your pole, right? Go fishing. And what does he catch? He catches a fish with what in its mouth, right? With the money in its mouth. And so we see that there. But there's a second type, and it's uh, sort of like this picture behind me. Uh, it, it's one man using something sort of like this. It's a, it's a cast net, right? And so you would take this, this sort of cast net, and you would learn to throw it. And, of course, it would spread out and sink, and then you would gather up anything that you sort of caught in this, uh, in this net. In Matthew chapter 4, we see Andrew and Peter. When Jesus calls them, right? Remember this great call to discipleship. What does he say? Come, you know, follow me and I will make you fishers of what? Fishers of men, right? This is the kind of fishing they were doing. They were using this, right? But there's a third kind, and it's the, the use of what is called a dragnet. And so a dragnet essentially uh, was, was a group effort, right? So groups of fishermen would use large nets, and they would, they would use those nets to sort of draw them to shore between two boats. And so sometimes they would tie one end to the shore and the other end to the boat, and then they would sort of sweep the lake, if you will, uh, even up to half a mile long. And, and if you can imagine using something like in the image behind me, you would likely catch fish, right? But do you think you would catch other things in that net as well? Likely so. Branches, other sea creatures, seaweed, right? And so, and so what they would do is they would, they would sweep the area and then they would just drag it back to the shore. And then, of course, what would they do? They would go looking for the good fish, right? Because that was the fish that they would go sell in the marketplace. And so they would take the fish. Oh, this is a good one. Throw it in the basket full of water. We're going to go sell it, right? But if they found... Something not good, right? A fish that was unedible or, or some piece of trash or debris. What, what, what would they do? Right? Throw it, throw it away. We don't need it. And so this is the image that Jesus is, is using, the image of the dragnet, right? And so what we see is that Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Well, how is it like that? Well, he tells us starting in verse 49. Let's look at that together. Verse 49. He says, this is how it will be at the end of the age. And so Jesus points us once again towards the culmination of history, towards the, towards the return of Christ to the earth to, to, to judge and to bring eternal life. And so he says, this is how it's going to be at the end of the age. He says, the angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace. And then he uses again, uh, a startling image where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
And so as in the previous parable, right, angels are involved. Angels are the, the harvesters. He says at the end of the age, the angels will, will, will separate. Friends, uh, upon that day, there will be a great divide. There will be a great and eternal divide, right? Jesus said there will be the wicked and there will be the righteous. And here, unlike the previous parable, Jesus emphasizes the eternal destiny of those who reject him. Do you see that? There's no mention of shining like the sun in this parable, is there? It's a similar parable with a similar point, but the emphasis here is on the eternal destiny of those who reject him. He uses the exact same language, right? There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Friends, Jesus here speaks of the doctrine of hell. The doctrine of hell. Friends, let me ask you a question. Did Jesus believe that everyone goes to heaven? Did he? No. Did he believe that everyone eventually is going to be okay with God? Absolutely not, right? Jesus taught that there would be a separation at the end of the age, that there would be the righteous and the wicked. There would be sons of the kingdom and sons of Satan, right? Friends, Jesus speaks of hell more often than anyone, right? He speaks of eternal judgment more than he speaks of love. Jesus is unashamed and unabashedly so. He speaks of the eternal destiny because he knows how tragic of a decision it is to, to, to see this gospel seed, the offer of forgiveness of sins, the offer, uh, offer of salvation, the offer of eternal life, and for someone to say, I don't want that. I reject that. How utterly damning It is. John MacArthur paints a a picture of the dragnet. He says, The dragnet of God's judgment moves silently through the sea of mankind and draws all men to the shores of eternity for final separation to their ultimate destiny. Believers to eternal life and unbelievers to eternal damnation. And so we've seen two parables, right? Very similar parables. So let's close our time with, oh, about four or five truths for today. What, what can we learn from these two parables? Well, I have about, about four things here. Number one, children of the kingdom shouldn't be surprised by the weeds. Children of the kingdom shouldn't be surprised by the weeds. I'm, of course, going back to the original parable, right? The parable of the weeds. And Jesus likens himself to planting good seed. He plants his people. He plants his, his believers all throughout the world, right? But then the evil one also does some planting. The evil one plants his seed all throughout the world. And at least a, a small part of the parable of the weeds is that, is that until the return of Jesus, there is a wheat and there is a weed right next to each other. You see that in the parable? I mean, we live right next to each other, do we not? And yet sometimes I find that we, those of us who are the wheat, we can be surprised when we look at our family. We can be surprised when we look at our school. We can be surprised when we look at our our, our country and we see that there's weeds, right? There are weeds. You know, I'm a slow learner. Uh, Every spring, you know, the the grass turns green and the flowers start to to bud and everything's coming back to life. Everything that I want to be in my yard is there. And then what? Well, so are the weeds, right? They're there again. I'm like, oh, I can't believe the weeds are, are back. 
You know, we Christians can be sort of naive about the spiritual weeds around us. We can be surprised when evil people do evil things and when they plot evil things. We can be offended when a drunk gets drunk or when a foul person cusses or when a pervert makes a, a dirty joke and we're offended by that and, and we should be offended by evil, right? We don't, we, don't, we don't love evil, but friends, it should not surprise us. Friends, don't be surprised when the sons of Satan act like Satan. Because they're going to, right? They're going to. Don't be surprised. Friends, we don't, we don't live in the kingdom age, the final manifestation of the kingdom, when Christ is ruling on the earth, when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Friends, are we there yet? We don't live there yet, do we? And so let's not be surprised when we see the weeds. Secondly, and this is sort of a very simple truth from these two parables. Everyone belongs to a kingdom. Friends, did you know that? You belong to a kingdom. And your neighbor belongs to a kingdom. And your son or daughter belongs to a kingdom. Everyone belongs to a kingdom, right? We are either sons of the kingdom of God, or we are sons of the kingdom of Satan. And everyone has a king, right? We all have a king. It's either Jesus or it's Satan. Every one of us belongs to a kingdom, the kingdom of light or the kingdom of darkness. Every one of us has a spiritual father. Either God is our heavenly father or Satan is our father. Jesus, when talking in John chapter 8, he's talking to the religious leaders who were rejecting him. And notice the language he uses. John chapter 8, verse 44. He says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. Jesus didn't hold his punches, did he? He looked at those who rejected him and he said, which kingdom do they belong to? The kingdom of Satan. Who is their father? The devil. Friends, every unbeliever, their spiritual father is the devil. And they carry out their father's desires. In contrast, the apostle John in 1 John chapter 5 verse 19 wrote this. He says, we know that we are children of God. So we can know that we are children of God. We know that we are children of God. However, and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. So we're children of God or we're under the control of the evil one. Friends, everyone belongs to a kingdom. So here is the most pressing question you will hear today. Which kingdom do you belong to? Which kingdom are you a part of? Number three, kingdoms have distinct Marks, there is a difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. So here's the question that that I was pondering as I studied and listened to these two parables. How do we know if we're a weed? Or how do we know if we're a wheat? Friends, if what Jesus is saying is true, and the weeds will be cast into hell forever because of their rejection of him. And if what Jesus is saying is true, and the wheat will be uh, will shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father, then don't you want to know which one you are? Don't you want to know? We must know. So how does Jesus describe them, right? Christians, in both of these parables, well, they're marked by something, right? They're identified by something. It's, it's by their fruit, Jesus called unbelievers those who cause sin, all who do evil. He calls believers those who are righteous. In other words, Christians have a, have a distinct mark, right? We, we, we look, in a sense, like our Heavenly Father. 
And those who are lost, well, as Jesus says, they carry out their father's desires. Just recently, I was in uh, some public place. I don't know where we were. And I was with uh, my oldest son. And I had a stranger, and this happens fairly often. Uh, they came to me, and this older woman says, and she's sort of looking and pointing at Asher, and she said, I, knows, I know whose kid that is. I know whose kid that is. And she's, of course, saying he looks like me, right? Uh, because he does. And Shelley often gets that with Piper and so on and so forth. He looks like me. Friends, which father do you look like? Which father does your life characterized by? And yet, the truth in the previous point is sort of tempered with truth number four. Because God alone can know kingdom Membership. God alone can know kingdom membership. Friends, it is hard at times for us who are followers of Christ to identify true and false believers. It's hard for us sometimes to identify the wheat from the weeds. In the parable, there was a time period when they were almost indistinguishable, right? Well, which is it? We, we can't tell yet. The fruit hasn't come up yet. The head hasn't come up yet. And so we must temper this truth that, hey, kingdoms have distinct markers with this parallel truth is that God alone ultimately knows. That God alone ultimately knows who is a weed and who is a wheat. And we don't get to be the final arbiter. Friends, Christians are not qualified to infallibly, infallibly distinguish between true and false believers. Now what we can do and what we should do is we should come alongside those and say, Friends, there are markers here, right? There are certain characteristics that Christians have and there are certain characteristics that unbelievers have. And so we say, which does your life look like? Yes, we must and should do that. But friends, we cannot be an infallible uh, determiner, right? We can't say for 100% certain, well, you're definitely a weed. You're, you're definitely a weed. Friends, I don't know if any of you are truly saved. I know that I am truly saved. But I can't make that judgment for any of you because there will be a day when the angels will come and harvest all of humanity And on that day, Jesus alone will know, you are a wheat and you are a weed. Finally, number five, kingdom membership determines one's eternal destiny. We hit on that and we can't emphasize it enough. Unbelievers will suffer suffer eternal conscience punishment and torment forever, while friends, Christians who have placed their faith in Christ will experience eternal glory in the kingdom of God forever. Friends, God does not rejoice in the death of the wicked. We see that in in, uh, Exodus chapter 18. He doesn't rejoice in that. He He doesn't want anyone to perish eternally. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9. God does not desire people to go to hell. Jesus, when he was, uh, uh, entering into Jerusalem, and he saw the city that uh, had rejected him and was going to kill them. What did he do? Did he rejoice? No, he, he, he wept over the lost, right? He warned people regularly about the reality of hell. And friends, we must as well. And the certain hope of eternal life. We'll close on this. The story is told of when vice president of many years ago, Calvin Coolidge, He was then vice president, and he was presiding over the Senate. And there was a a heated debate going on, and one senator was arguing with the other. And the other senator stood up and angrily told the one that he was arguing with, go straight to hell. Go straight to hell. Well, that offended that particular senator, and so he went to Coolidge as the presiding officer and told him about the incident. And uh, 
Vice President Coolidge was flipping through a book as he was listening to the, to the man. And he looked through the, the book for a minute and he, he turned to the man who had been told to go straight to hell. And he said, I, I've been looking at the rule book. You don't have to go. You don't have to go. Friends, I've been looking at the rule book as well. We've been looking at the rule book, have we not, if you will. And friends, you don't have to go. We don't have to go. God, in His great love and mercy for us, has sent His only Son, has sent His only Son to live the perfect life of obedience that I must live and that you must live and that nobody, nobody can live for us. And He died the death that I deserve, that you deserve, taking my punishment and your punishment on the cross, taking our eternal destiny, if you will, taking the wrath of the Father so that we wouldn't have to go. And he rose from the dead three days later, verifying all that he said and all that he did and the offer of salvation so that we would not have to go. But friends, if you, res- if you reject that, if you reject the gospel offer, you will have to go. Friends, you don't have to. You don't have to. You can turn and trust in Jesus and your eternal destiny can be secure. Let's pray. Father, I pray if there is a person here and their heart is being pricked by your Holy Spirit, and they know as they examine the fruit of their life that it looks more like a weed than it does a wheat, that they know that their life is characterized by wickedness, that they do things that are not honoring to you, that they live a life of rebellion, rejecting you as king, and they have come to recognize that as a result, that the wages of sin is death, both physical and spiritual. Lord, I pray even now that your spirit would be working, uh, pricking the conscience of that man or woman, boy or girl, and that they would know even now that you love them and that they don't have to go to hell, that they can turn and repent of their sin, that they can turn away from living their own way, from being king over their own life, that they can turn from trusting in anything other than what Christ has done for them on the cross and that they would be saved. Lord, may you do your work in this church, we pray, making those of us who are weeds into wheat. And for those of us, Father, who are wheat, may we rejoice in anticipation of the day when your Son will come back, and the, 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 the dragnet, if you will, will be cast, and all eternity, all, all humanity will be gathered. And we know that we can have confidence in that day, that because we've trusted in you, that we will shine like the sun in the kingdom of our Father. Lord, encourage our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Let's stand and we're going to do our benediction here, reading a portion of Scripture.